reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty, except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup. But he's driving and striving and hugging the turn. It's Sunday, August 10th, 2014, and this is Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social. I'm Eric. And I'm Ted. And where we would normally have a cheeky open, where we would go back and forth with a couple of different jokes here and there. We'll uh, uh, start with something a little bit more serious. Yeah, last night at about 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, a few miles outside of Watkins Glen Speedway, where Tony Stewart's going to be racing today in a NASCAR event. Uh, he was in a sprint car event, a dirt mm-hmm. track uh, open wheel event, and a death occurred. A 20-year-old driver... Kevin Wood Jr. Kevin Wood Jr., who started racing go-karts at age four, has been in the sprint, uh, sprint car circuit for about five or six years now. He was pushed into the wall or went into the wall at some point during the race, unbuckled his harness, got out of his vehicle. Not a smart move. Got out of his vehicle, walked down into the track, into the oncoming racing vehicles. Now, from what I understand as well and reported on ESPN and at a couple of different sources, a warning flag did go up. And he started to point at Tony Stewart's car and, for all intents and purposes, challenge the car. Yeah, challenge the car. Okay. I, yeah, I, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Aggressively walking towards stutter-stepping. Okay. He, like a squirrel. He was hit by the car. The back end. It was hit by the car. Right, it was the back end of the car. And was pronounced dead at the hospital. Yep. Where do we start? Well, um, there's a lot, a few different directions you can take this. I mean, you, you, got, you got a guy that's doing something that shouldn't be done, which is getting out of your car and walking aggressively on a racetrack where cars are flying by you. Two cars before Tony Stewart eventually got to him, almost hit him. Yeah. But that didn't seem to phase him. It didn't slow him down. He kept walking aggressively, pointing, pointing, and you can't see in the footage where he's pointing, but he's pointing, and aggressively stutter-stepping backwards, forwards, forwards, backwards, and all of a sudden you see Tony Tony's car come into, uh, into the screen, and as he's passing him, his back end kicks out to the right and chucks him about 20 feet. It all happened very fast. Yeah, and now tough to see. We're able to editorialize a little bit now. We're not in a necessarily a journalistic position. We don't have to have this like ironclad journalistic integrity. Right. So we can say what we're seeing from our own perspective. Number one, I need to make sure that it's pretty clear. I'm not a NASCAR guy. No, I'm not. I'm not into racing. I'm. And neither am I. Okay. Neither one of us claim to be a, a racing guy of any kind. I don't know anything about sprint racing. Other than the fact that I know that it takes place on a dirt track with open wheels. And with those funny hoods on there. Uh, yeah, yeah, and the, basically to hold the car down yes. onto the ground. Yep. Um, just to only, and I only know that because of physics. Yes. <laughs> so the first time I looked at the video, it was on ESPN mm-hmm. this morning, and I didn't even know what I was looking at, uh, almost. like Yeah, because you kind of can't see him. Again, it happens very fast, so it's really tough to pick up. And as soon as... Stewart's car enters the frame, it's over. Like, that's how quick it happened. People out there, you know, um, that were there, some say that um, he revved his engine as he passed him, which caused the back end to kick out. I mean, I could see where that could that could possibly happen. You know, they got this guy in front of him who's clearly where he shouldn't be, aggressively pointing and yelling. And from all indications, Stewart didn't run his car into the wall you can't really see any contact between Stewart and this guy's car. So it really doesn't seem that, that Stewart caused him to crash. So he sees this guy coming at him. He's going to avoid, but he's probably maybe he's annoyed. So maybe he does give his engine a little a little rev, just you know, just a little roar. Not expecting that his back end is gonna kick out and hit this guy. I'm no way suggesting that 
that Tony Stewart tried to get as close as... I'm not suggesting he tried to get as close as possible or that he tried to hit him. I'm not suggesting any anything like that. Yeah, you can't but, get inside Tony Stewart's head on no, this. No, of course, and, and of course not. But, but I fear going forward that that's what people are going to be trying to do. I, I can... I can kind of see the oncoming storm in this, that there's going to be a crowd of people or, or, or a segment of people that, that are going to be coming down on Stuart and, and saying that he went out of his way and it's his fault that this happened. While you're saying that, let me play about 20 seconds of audio from the video. This is the cars going by the driver. He's aggressively pointing. Did you hear the engine? Listen. Tony Stewart just hit that guy, Alex. Tony Stewart just hit that guy. Tony Stewart just hit that guy. Not that guy hit by a car. Tony Stewart hit that guy. Tony Stewart. And I've seen it worded like that in a couple of articles. Tony Stewart slammed him. Tony Stewart ran him over. Yeah, there was an audit, like the, the headline on Deadspin was Tony Stewart run, killed, a guy. Yeah, killed a guy kind of thing. I'm an untrained eye. Yes. Okay? Unfortunately, my untrained eye sees Tony Stewart sort of swerve at him. See, I don't see that. That's the point. This is where right, we're going to exactly. have... This is a perfect example. I mean, I see him actually swerving the opposite way right before it happens. Okay, so you see, when you said, even you, you said the words, his back wheels hit him. And... I just watched the video again while we were playing the audio clip, and I see him turn the wheel toward the guy. Um, but again, see, I see it. <clears throat> I see him turning away from the guy, and then turning back, as in swerving around, like you would swerve around a cone, left, right, left, right. Uh, yeah, and I don't. How fast do these cars travel? Uh, you see, know, see that I'm a little bit ignorant on. I imagine, I imagine it's upwards of 80 miles plus per hour. And I imagine under a caution, they're probably going about 60. Okay, so if there's a caution, this vehicle is... And by the way... It's this, still going fast. The, the, <laughs> the, the idea of this is clearly not having control in the corners. You know, it's... This, right, is, this is a drifting, yeah, you know, on a dirt track. A dirt track, open wheels, right. and with a, a very light vehicle with a right. very high horsepower right. motor. Yeah, high like, this speed. is yeah. with a suspension that's going to, like, keep you on the ground. But, and just just to be clear, like, as you said, that, I mean, there was a yellow flag out, so it was a warning flag, so everybody's supposed to slow down mm-hmm. from the speed that they were going. Yeah. So, in the real world, 60 miles an hour is pretty fast. Yeah. I mean, if you're on the highway and somebody's in the middle of the highway... Standing there, that's a scary situation. Oh, they're toothpaste. Nah, exactly. It's a scary situation where you go 50 miles an hour, 60 or 70 miles an hour. It's a scary situation. In the live Nobody's convers- supposed to be walking on the track. This isn't a caution flag goes up because, hey, guys, there's going to be bodies on the track. There's people. No, it's it's so a guy doesn't come at 100 miles an hour around a, around a turn and slam into a non-moving vehicle that's been disabled. That's what the caution's for. Not for this guy to get out of his vehicle. And approach the middle of the racetrack. Yeah. Now that's the thing. They, there's. Is it too early to uh, to say the words? You have to assign fault. It, it might and, be too early, but I mean, to me, it's. I mean, it's clear. If anybody says that he was right in unbuck in unbuckling his safety belt, that he was right to get out of his vehicle at that time, and he was right to approach f- oncoming cars. Again, like I said, he wasn't the first one to almost hit Well, he hit him. But two cars before that almost hit him. So I don't think it's premature to say that there was at least three or four things that this guy shouldn't have done right up until the point that Tony Stewart's car struck him. NASCAR was a little bit noncommittal with some of their statements today. One of the things that they said... To be. Well, they Well, they said that they're... they're but they're sure that Tony's going to race at Watkins Glen today. Which I don't agree with. Uh, you know, it's going to be up to him. They, they sort well, of right. said... Well, right, it's going to be up to him. But yeah. if he races, I mean, I just... I don't see that as a smart move, you know, from a PR standpoint, let alone from an emotional standpoint. You just killed a man. Right or wrong, accident, no accident, avoidable, unavoidable. You, you just killed a man. Take a day. Yeah, if you accidentally left your loaded gun on the coffee table and it killed 
a salesperson that was in your house, you're going to be pretty broken up about it. Yeah, a little bit. You, yeah. Yeah, you're probably not going to go to the sales meeting the next day. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you're going to be pretty broken up yeah. about it. And um, not to say that he's not. I don't want to, again, we're not going to get inside his head. Well, there was a there was a, a NASCAR analyst on ESPN this morning, and he was talking about the fact that you know when guys have days off, and this was a day off for Tony Stewart. Oh well, yeah, um, he does this for fun. This is what he does. Yes. Like so, he doesn't have a wife. He doesn't Which have drives kids. his insurance company crazy. By yeah. the way, but this I, this came up last year. When he, he broke, broke his leg. leg. Yeah, yeah he, he broke his leg. Exactly. So this came up. He does this for fun. A lot of these guys do this as a career, as a way of uh, as that's, as, that's to how they live of their bread. Yeah. Right. Um, he does it for fun because he's a NASCAR. Uh, and now, at the same time, too, uh, the, the sheriff uh, of this community uh, confirmed, obviously, that the that Kevin had died and uh, that Tony Stewart cooperated entirely and that no charges yep. were filed. That's, of course, you know, that can change any time after they look uh, it's, at That's not going to change. But that's not going to change. No. This is, right now, this is going to be the court of public opinion. He's not going to be charged with anything at all. There's nothing to charge him with. So the outcome and the the fallout from this is going to be in the court of public opinion. Now, as far as I can tell, and I think a good barometer to measure the court of public opinion is a, a good spot would be, where do you hear the, what, what are you reading in the first commentary? What do you see in the first comments? And the very first comments that I looked at was at Reddit. Yep, right. Okay. And Reddit had a link to it. There were people asking questions right away. What's the protocol when you get in an incident? Yeah. Protocol is stay in your vehicle. stay in your freaking car unless yep. it's on fire. If it's on fire, Ex- get out absolutely. of it. Absolutely. Okay. But if it's not, you stay, stay in your right car where you are. That's why they put the caution out. Like I said, exactly. And they send the a vehicle out down. to get you. And the vehicle, see how quick that vehicle was. It there. was already on it's, its way. It was already on its way. Yeah. And that, okay. Right. So um, I'm trying not to beat this guy up. It's difficult not to. Because and, and but you know what? When you were twenty, you did fifty stupid things a day that could have gotten you killed. Absolutely, I did them. Everybody's done them. Yeah, we were lucky to be alive. Yeah, <laughs> this kid's stupid decision it cost him his life. Cost he doesn't him his get life. A redo on this. Yeah, he doesn't get a mulligan. Okay, he doesn't get a mulligan. This isn't years old. starting a fight in the pit yeah. in in pit row. Yeah. Y- okay, yeah. or after the race is over. And, and by the way, when I because I was actually up really late for some reason oh yeah wait a minute maybe because it was a 19 inning game for the red Sox no, last night I, so i kept dozing off and waking back up and i saw a quick headline of this somewhere in between and the way i'd read it first off i thought it was a pit situation because the way they presented it that there was a uh, some kind of altercation altercation mm-hmm. And then Stewart ran him over. Like that's when the fir- when it first first came out. That's one of the first headlines I read was that there was a, an altercation and this guy got run over. And I'm like, wow, holy smoke! Yeah, like like things don't usually get this heated. Like I've seen helmets get thrown and punches get thrown, and I mean we see it all the time. Yeah, these guys get very heated and they fight each other. Yeah. They go after each other hard. Um, they take it very personally. Yeah, when they get cut off or run into the wall, like it's like they're not used take, to it or something. It's yeah, very take weird. take road rage and and multiply right. it times the mm-hmm. millions of dollars that's at stake. Exactly. So I remember see, seeing that last night, and again I fell back asleep. But but that was my first thing. I thought it was a pit situation. Mm-hmm. I thought this. I thought Tony Stewart ran this guy over in the pit yeah. as he was approaching his car to yell at him because that's usually how they do it. You you piss them off on on the track, they'll get you on your way in. On your way into your pit yep. to have the words with you. Yeah. So that's that's how I envisioned it was Tony Stewart ran this guy over as he was going to yell at him in a pit. Mm-hmm. And then when I read it more at four in the morning when I was up, I was like, holy crap. And one, well, one of the things was uh, that that I thought of immediately and exactly you know exactly as you say is uh, when you talk about guys who are competitive, nobody is more competitive than Tony Stewart. It's this it, guy. We'd is, be hard pressed to find a guy more competitive than Stewart. If it would not matter if this guy was a real estate agent, yep. or if this guy was a samurai, mm-hmm. he would be the mm-hmm. the most aggressive. Well, look, like you said, we were NASCAR. He's a NASCAR guy. 
if that's not enough thrill for him, that in his downtime he's got to race Sprint Cup. Yeah, he, he that tells you right there he has to have that rush, that competitive constantly. Yes, absolutely. Like you know, you wouldn't want I I wouldn't want to play poker. Against no, him. no, absolutely you know, not. like I just wouldn't yeah. want to because he's just going to connect four with him. Yeah, he's going to push pots on you constantly. <laughs> yeah, so. You know, I at the end of the day, and a twenty-year-old is dead. That's a twenty-year-old kid is dead, and heart-wrenching you know, for his family. Tied to one of the biggest names in NASCAR. It's unfortunate, obviously, for their family, for this for this kid's Friends, family. Family, yeah. The sprint car community, for the racing community, this didn't have to happen. No, at all. No. And by the way, one hundred percent totally avoidable. Tony Stewart never touched his car. No. Okay. There was not a moment where, yeah, he didn't clip his car, he didn't drive him into the wall, nothing. nothing. This kid made a mistake. At 20. And then compounded it. By getting out of his car. By getting out of his car to blame somebody else on a racetrack. Yeah. And my fear in this is that Stewart's going to be vilified. It's a sad day in racing, and more is going to come out, and, I mean, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, racing lost... uh, you know, very young, up and coming driver, and uh, and I hope it doesn't lose one of its most competitive, yeah, you know, high end, you know, triple A superstars on it too at the same time. Yeah. So thanks for giving this a listen. We'll be back in just a few minutes. No trophy, no flowers, no flashbulbs, no wine. He's haunted by something he cannot define. Bowel shaking earthquakes of doubt and remorse assail him, impale him with monster truck force in his mind. And pacing and parting the course He's fighting and fighting and riding on his horse The sun has gone down and the moon has come up And long ago somebody left with the cup But he's striving and driving and hugging the turns And thinking of someone for whom he still burns There's a reason why we're going with this one right here Thanks for sticking with us. Welcome back to Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social. I'm Eric. And I'm Ted. Okay, so in this week, Kerry Williams, the third string cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles. It's okay if you have no clue who he is. He (laughs) decided to stand by a statement made earlier that the Patriots are cheaters. Hmm. He then doubled down on that stupidity when he was asked if he feared retribution, seeing how they are going to be doing a shared practice uh, with the Patriots starting this week. And this is what he told reporters. I don't care if they come after me or not. That doesn't scare me. My mentality is I've never been a punk, never been a sissy, never been a guy that's going to be a scared guy. (laughs) At which Riley Cooper reportedly asked, Hmm. what is wrong with you people? What do you mean, you people? (laughs) Oh, well, you know, what do you think the over-under is going to be on passes completed in his direction when they have those joint practices next Ooh, week? Ooh, I can't wait for that stat. Yeah, right. By the <laughs> way, according to ProFootballFocus.com, Williams ranked number 80 out of 110 cornerbacks that were on NFL rosters last year. Oh, you mean he's in the top 30? No, he's 80. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I, oh. Can you imagine if Brady just demolishes this kid for a week? And he gets cut. What, losing his job? Yay. <laughs> Good job, buddy. So he had a choice to make last week. He could either try to prepare for the New England Patriots and their joint practices, or he could talk smack about one of the most dominant franchises of the last 15 years. He chose one. <laughs> but Eric and I are going to give him the benefit of the doubt, though. And we're going to discuss an article that was posted on 538.com this week by Neil Payne, titled, The Patriots' Opponents Won't Let Spygate Die. But did it really matter? Yeah, so today, right after this, we're, we're going to put Spygate to bed. Okay, we're going to, we're going to squash it. Yeah. But for now, in other news, <laughs> for former Detroit uh, Lions quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Mitchell, Yeah. I, I think he's going to be on the Lions again this year. No, 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 that's not right. Um, former Detroit Lions quarterback Scott Mitchell is going to be on The Biggest Loser this year. 
that's that's what I said. I, 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 I don't understand. Six to one. Six yeah, to one. I, are we saying something different? Yeah, I, biggest loser, Detroit Lions. Oh, oh, the show. Yeah. Oh, oh the show. So he got a little hefty in his yeah, old age. Yeah, he, he ballooned to over three hundred and forty pounds apparently. So, so half of that's his ego. I, I no, but I think that's actually the very definition of ballooned, and I think he's going to be featured with Damian Woody. Oh, so yeah, that's not that's. I wish I was joking. Okay, well, <laughs> and well, easy mistake though. Yeah, of course, very easy. Um, and also, after a week, they saw Jerry Jones get caught in some, I'd say, compromising photographs. Um, although they were ten years old, compromising. I, yeah, last. but they they, they surfaced. <laughs> they this surfaced week, now, yeah. makes them uh, relevant. Um, well, you would think the ownership of your fabled Cowboys mm-hmm. would keep a low profile. Well, you'd be wrong. Yeah, you'd think wrong. Because the head of the NFL officials was seen out partying with uh, Stephen Jones, Jerry's son, mm-hmm. uh, on, I'd say, the less than conspicuous Dallas Cowboys party bus. Like, you didn't hear what? me wrong. I, I said party yeah. bus. But what team doesn't have a party bus? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure all the other owners in the league are got to be pretty cool with Yee-haw. this, right? Uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they're right on board. They're just waiting for yeah. you know, him to visit their party bus. Yeah, because the head of an NFL official should always be hanging out with team ownership, right? <laughs> and speaking of the NFC East... Yippee-yay Yippee-yay <laughs> Eric and I are happy to finally arrive at the en- end of our NFL preview as we get to come in for a landing at home sweet home. The Dallas Cowboys, the E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles, the grumpy-faced goon squad known as the New York Giants, and I'm going to do it, the Washington... I think you might have screwed up there. Uh, It was the Washington Red... I said the Washington Red... Screw you, buddy. It's the Washington Redskins. No, no, now you're just going to arbitrarily beat me? All right, fine. You're going to beat me out when I say the Redskins. We'll get to that debate soon. Yeah, you missed one. I got it in there, buddy. So, but we will debate that. Definitely. Don't you worry. Okay, so you can take a little beep and shove it right up your... (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) So how about a little music to set the mood for the AFC East thing? Oh, oh, that sounds familiar. It Miami should. Has a oh. Okay, yes, I'm a Dolphins fan. So we're going to finally arrive at the AFC East. Where the Dolphins were relevant when that style of music was? Oh, that's, that's cold, Ted. We're supposed to be a team, okay? All right, we're supposed to be a team. We're supposed to get my back. All right, we're, we're going to the playoffs this year, buddy. You chose poorly. Okay, thank you. All right, so we're going to be landing in the AFC East with the J-E-S-T. Jets, Jets. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the porpoise with a purpose, Miami Dolphins. Oh, fantastic. The Buffalo Bills, who are on the market, and John Bon Jovi might just buy them and move them to Toronto. Uh, now I feel like playing like Rush or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the retooled, reloaded, and revamped New England Patriots. Ted and I will discuss if these teams will have what it takes to make it back to prominence in the 2014 NFL season. Excellent. And as always, go ahead and hit us up on Twitter at Eric and Ted ICS, on Facebook at Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social, and at our website, ericandted.com. We love your feedback, the good and the bad, and we look forward to hearing from you. I say we give the, uh, the fans what we promise them. And that is? And that is to put to, put to bed the uh, Spygate. Great. Right? Okay. Let's just put it to bed because, again, I'm, I'm not a Patriots fan. Mm-hmm. I'm a Dolphins fan. Okay. I, obviously, I like to follow you know my home team. That's all well and good, but I'm not an, a Patriot apologist. No. So, and neither are you. I mean, you're a Cowboys fan. Yeah. So when it comes from um, two non-homers, if you will, mm-hmm. if we're sick of hearing about Spygate and find it totally irrelevant, chances are it is. 
it's that's everybody's go-to excuse, and I'm sick of hearing it. You got grown men, professionals in this league, that l- like to point out that oh, well, the, the the Patriots haven't won a Super Bowl, they haven't won anything. That's what they say. Well, they say it, I, they haven't won anything since Spygate. Okay, well, let me talk to you about uh, Neil Payne's article here, real quick. This Neil Payne's article, and, and what uh, what site was that? It's on? at five thirty eight dot com. Okay, the name of the article. If you get a chance to look it up, it's uh, the Patriots' opponents won't let Spygate die. But did it really matter? Now, 538 started as a political website back in the 2008 presidential campaign uh, by Nate Silver. So what it does is basically it's a data center. It crunches numbers across the board. So these guys actually sat down, looked at the numbers pre-Spygate. And I hate that term. It diminishes the importance of the historical importance of Watergate. But it also increases the importance of filming (laughs) an, uh, an opposing team's sidelines. Right. All right. So now the article begins with this statement. In 2007, sports media couldn't stop talking about Spygate, in which the New England Patriots were caught illegally taping sideline defensive signals from the New York Jets coaches during the team's opening week matchup. Now, now go ahead. You go on. Yeah. Just so if, if anybody out there is listening who's not really understanding what that is, I'll translate that. Okay. Prior to it not being allowed, every uh, single coach worth his weight did the same thing actually that, that's almost that's mentioned close to i'm just saying yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah it's been admitted i mean talking coaches like like didka yeah okay, jimmy johnson yeah they all did it go ahead yeah it soon became known that the patriots head coach bill belichick had been engaging in such activity since 2000 although the league had only expressly clarified that the practice as forbidden In a 2006 memo, the perception still lingers that New England gained an unfair advantage during the first seven seasons of Bill Belichick's tenure with the team. That period happened to include three Super Bowl championships and five division titles. Now, Mm -hmm. that's where we kind of come back to this this perception that... Right, right. They haven't won anything since, since, you know, they've been shut down as far as, you know, recording defensive signals. Now, you've brought up the point where, was this even a thing? You know, when was it... Bill Belichick recording the sidelines. Yep. And you've brought up the point. He was pointing a camera where he shouldn't have. Yes. That's, that was the long and short of that. Okay. What he was doing from the stories going back was he was pointing a camera on his own sideline yep. at, a, at the defensive coaches that were sending signals into their defenses. Yep. Okay. And he was recording their signals. Could that give anybody an unfair advantage not in game. Not in like game. Like it, it, it was said, it was broken down, and you had analysts, experts said there's no way in that 15 minutes of halftime mm-hmm. that they had time to go in, change, get a drink, whatever, listen analyze to the adjustments, film. analyze the film, and then apply that analysis. F- and wait, decode, by the way. Mm-hmm. They would have to decode the signals and then put that into use. They, it, it was impossible. So they said, okay, maybe it gave them an advantage for the next time they played. But this is my what I say to that. Any team that doesn't change up their signals the second time they play a team in one season is foolish. And they deserve to lose. Bill Cower sat on a thumbtack on this one. Bill Cower was allegedly a victim of this, where he would get caught having the exact identical signals year after year after irresponsible and not changing his signals however if that camera instead of being on the sidelines at field level was in the coach's box and it was pointed at the exact same spot it would have been fine but mangina mangini mangini sorry um thought he was kind of a little bit of gamesmanship that's what that's honestly that that's what he had said along the way like he really didn't intend to you know, have, have it this big deal. Yeah, this big deal. He was just kind of trying to, you know... Be like, hey, wait a minute. Make a little head. Yeah, exactly. Cause a little ruckus. This week, as the article continues, mm-hmm. such sentiment bubbled to the surface again this week when Philadelphia Eagles cornerback Carrie Williams ripped the Patriots as cheaters ahead of the team's midterm joint practices. Williams' comments are nothing new. In the years after Spygate, many players and coaches have alluded to the incident as a means of questioning the legitimacy of the Patriots' championships. The question, but what does this evidence say about the actual effort of the Patriots' taping? 
We can count the rings, three Super Bowl wins while taping, zero after. But given that the best team in the NFL wins the Super Bowl only about 24% of the time, it's possible such a split could occur due to chance alone. Dude, in the seven seasons since this official letter went out saying that you cannot do this, let's clarify, you cannot do it. Yeah. They've won six out of seven. AFC, uh, I'm sorry, AFC East division titles. Okay. Six out of seven. They've been to two other Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they've won the AFC Championship game twice more mm-hmm. and have been to, I believe, three or four. Again, I don't have that in front of me, but I know it's more than two because they, they did lose in the AFC Championship game and they lost in the divisional game as well. Mm-hmm. So since Spygate, they are a perennial playoff team. Average of nine times out of ten, if you think about it that way, they're going to win their division. But but they haven't accomplished anything. They haven't won anything. Mm-hmm. So when they went, you know, into the Super Bowl, going eighteen and zero into the Super Bowl, and only lost the game on a freak catch, the a catch that you will never see again, and that none has been David Tyree. even touched to it, mm-hmm. touched it. Such a huge play. Even Eli getting away from the three times he almost got sacked in that one play. Everything. Like, I've, I've seen that play multiple times. It's one of the greatest not plays from a, in Super yeah, Bowl. Not from it a, is a Patriots fan. Play. It is yeah. the greatest play yeah. from start to finish. From Eli breaking multiple sack attempts. I mean, the guy practically had him wrapped in up the in a stand-up. Yeah. In a stand-up position, almost in a hug. Was able to get out of that, get out of another couple of jersey grabs. Throw it up. Have the guy jump up. Catch it on his helmet with a Harrison laying all over him. Mm-hmm. And still coming down with that catch. Yep. That's how they lost that Super Bowl. And finished 18 and 1. 18 and 1. But again, they haven't accomplished anything since Spygate. No. They're cheaters, and they haven't been able to win anything since they've been exposed as cheaters. They've been to three consecutive AFC AFC Championship games games going into this season. Yep. Now, here's the first statistic that's important. Oh, the first one. (laughs) The first one. A legitimate way to examine the question is to compare the Patriots' total record under Belichick before Spygate broke. While the Patriots were taping opposing signals, they won 69.3% of their 127 games, including the playoffs. Something tells me that the other one's going to be a little bit better. Since they ostensibly quit the practice, their winning percentage has been even higher. Oh. 75.6. Sounds about right, seeing that it seems like they always go about 13-3 and three every damn season. Yeah, in the 123 games to follow. Okay. At a glance, it seems rule-bending didn't add much of a note to the Patriots' chances of winning. Seems like they got better. They actually, statistically, they got better. Yep. All right. Again, to remind, only 24% of the time, does the best team in NFL win the Super Bowl? No, and that's that's clearly not <laughs> the case. Has, has the best team won the Super Bowl? Yeah, apparently one out of four times. Yes, exactly. One out of four times. One out of four times the best team in the NFL will win that year. This is an interesting little issue here. Gathering the data on the Las Vegas point spread and the over-under point spread for each New England game that dates back to 2000, because the taping was of defensive signals, the focus was on the Patriots' points scored relative to that which Vegas predicted. We can, you know, and then he goes into some statistical explanation. And because whatever advantage the tapes yield could only be gleaned upon post-game review for use when the Patriots face the opponent again. So again, they're pointing out what we had said earlier that inside the game, it's it's useless. Useless. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely useless. So this is for the second time that they're going to see a team if that team is foolish enough not to change their signals. Yeah. And so basically they came out with 61 games. There were 31 games that they were record, like they had the taping going on, and 30 games after the taping practice was ceased. They beat their opponent plus 2.4 points while being able to tape them the second time they saw them. I was going to say, because it seems like their margin of victory has been much more. Sure, sure. After the taping practice was stopped. Wow. Their point spread. 2.4. 2.4. Identical. Exactly identical. Interesting. So has it helped? No. Hmm. Did it hurt? No. no. Was it completely negligible? Was it more maybe Bill Belichick kind of thumbing his nose at the NFL? Yeah, saying some you're, of not, their- you're, not, you're not clarifying this rule enough. He seems like a man that's always very much about the point. What I'm allowed to do versus what I'm not allowed to do. And he's going to do whatever he feels is within the rules. Whether it helps him or not. Bill Belichick has a history throughout his entire career of going all the way to the living end, 
with contracts, with players, with the the game itself. With right. the, he's going to push the NFL to right. make their rules. Yeah, he uses play. the rules to his advantage in any way possible. He didn't make the rules. He's just going to use them to, to, to his work advantage. for him. Absolutely, yeah, to work for him. That's a smart man. He is. One of the things that came up this week where we know that um, Brandon Brown is not going to play the first four games. Right, suspended. Brandon Browner's um, style of play is the, you know, we're going to be watching that. You know, that grab, that, that slam around. Right, what the, what, right, what the officials are going to focus on is, is his style of play. You, you yeah. know the first four weeks, the first couple of three weeks of the season is when, the, that's when the, the laundry is going to be out there. That's when the flags are going to fly on that. Right, any, any, right. as we all know, anytime the, the NFL does something like this, or the officiating does something like this, it's always more prevalent in the first few weeks of, of the NFL. So you're hitting the yeah. nail right on the head. So that's when you're going to see the majority of the penalties. So by the time they get that out of their system... Mm-hmm. In strolls Browner for Week Five. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's a that's going to be that's in his mind. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a thing that a that a Belichickian mind it, yeah, yep. you know comes up with. Yes, and and I think that that's that's part of the brilliance that is Bill Belichick. Absolutely. Now, and and anybody who doesn't think that he's brilliant when it comes to football, is, no, yeah, is a Belichick hater. Well, there's some yeah. people that they give him zero credit, and that's just laughable. Yeah, then you know what? That if you it's end up laughable. in a conversation with anybody that, that like, okay, you wasted your I, time. <laughs> I don't particularly care for jazz, but I find the musicians that can competently play it remarkably talented. If you have somebody that I, I could say the same about country music, ah, it's so bad. It's so bad. If you <laughs> talk about NASCAR again, um, <laughs> if you sit down with somebody, you're having a conversation with somebody, yep. and they don't like Belichick, that's fine. Yeah. If they He's not sell, the most likable guy in the NFL. One of our one of our commenters during the course of the week uh, was actually talking about how uh, he he had said to me in a in a phone conversation, um, yeah, Brady is just about the best quarterback in the history of the NFL, but he goes nowhere without Belichick. And my contention is, of course, Belichick doesn't necessarily go anywhere without Brady. Like, these two have been so symbiotic that they're almost inseparable at this point in their career. But it's still speculation. Yeah, like, of, of course. You and can never have the it, answer it was, to that question. Yeah, it, well, and, and there's speculation that later on in his career, Belichick might go down that road after Brady retires. But we'll get to that another time. Back to the sp- spy gate. Oh, yeah. God, it's such a nauseating phrase. Before the book is closed on this, I want to read this. This is an important statement, and this is really where the Patriot haters go back and lean on. The article continues with, There is the not-so-small matter of the playoffs. In the postseason, New England's pre-Spygate record was 12-2, and two, and after, it's fallen to 6-6. Six and six. <clears throat> Things get more complicated if we look at New England's scoring relative to the Vegas postseason in eight playoff games against repeat opponents before Spygate. The Patriots exceeded offensive expectations by four points, beating the market forecast five times. In nine tries since, they've fallen short of expectations by an average of 6.6 points, failing to meet the forecasted score seven times. So in the playoffs now, they're scoring a touchdown less than Vegas is projecting them to score. It's funny because of, as of late from the playoff runs, they've been bit by the injury bug a little bit. I think that there are a lot of factors that weigh into this. Yeah, it's not it's not as clear cut as these people would like to make it seem. Of no, it's it's because of Spygate. It's because he's not allowed to tape it anymore, which is just so asinine. It's not even worth our conversation anymore. Just because Tom Brady has three Super Bowl rings doesn't mean Tom Brady's won three Super Bowls. No, okay. The Tom Patriots. Brady hasn't won anything. Yeah. The Patriots have. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the point. Right. He's been at the helm. Nobody does anything yeah. alone on a football. In football, field. yeah, exactly. In football, there's never anything that's just done because of one guy. Because we would only expect taping to improve the Patriots' performance, a one-tailed t-test is probably the appropriate choice, which in turn suggests there's something real to the Patriots before and after the split in the playoffs. But there's also one more consideration to take, the Wyatt Earp effect. In short, it's a phenomenon that can cause conventional significant testing to understate the probability of an event occurring due to chance. Because we pre-selected the Patriots as our test subject on the basis of Spygate, it's possible 
that these values are not answering the right questions. What are the odds that any team in the NFL will observe a similar split? Now, this is what they're trying to say here is exactly your point. This Wyatt Earp effect means chance plays a gigantic role in any football game. Yes, absolutely. Luck favors the prepared. Yes. If you go into a football game not prepared, meaning Vince Wilfork isn't there, mm-hmm. and Gerard Mayo isn't there, mm-hmm. and Ty Law isn't there anymore, mm-hmm. and Asante Samuel isn't there anymore. They're not walking through that door. They're not walking through that door. Thank you, Coach Patino. Mm. But if you go in there and Randy Moss um, doesn't catch a pass or David Tyree does catch a pass, these are the variables that weigh into this playoff record. Of course. Okay? So the bottom line on this entire article is statistically this spying thing didn't help them at all. Didn't even help them. And their numbers increased after they had stopped spying. Their actual win percentage increased. And, yeah. By five percentage points, like Jesus, yeah, sixty-nine right. to yeah, seventy-five. Yeah. So six percentage points. Yeah. So their their winning percentage went up by six percentage points in that exact same time frame from two thousand to two thousand seven, from two thousand seven to two thousand fourteen. Their winning percentage went up. Yep, six percentage. Points. Now, yes, and their their playoff percentage, their playoff percentage did go down. They went from twelve and two, sure, yep. to six and six. But again, when you win three Super Bowls. You're gonna have more. Those three years, you were undefeated in the, in the playoffs. So therefore, for three straight years, you didn't have a single loss. So it goes hand in hand. You win through Super Bowl, so you know what? That means you didn't lose any playoff games. They didn't so make the playoffs it, after the 01 Super Bowl. You're right. They did not. Yeah. So it's so. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's so skewed. So we're putting this puppy to bed. It didn't have anything to do with anything. Yeah. He was just operating within the rules as he saw them until the league specifically said, no, you can't do that anymore. That's it. And then End he, of the story. It's not the cause and effect of winning Super Bowls, and it has nothing to do with their recent Super Bowl drought. And anybody who vehemently argues that they haven't won anything is clearly not capable of holding... educated Yeah, not capable of a, holding yeah. the conversation. Yep. A rational argument. So with that, friends... Eric and I will be back in a few minutes. Don't forget to hit us up on Twitter at Eric and Ted ICS. Go visit our website, ericandted.com. And visit us on Facebook, Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social. Eric, I bet you don't know what song this is. Bet you I do. I said offense and defense. He can't can't say. Special teams! (laughs) Yeah! Oh, no way. <laughs> uh, is this a New York Jets fight song? <laughs> I think that we're giving the Jets a little bit of love here for one reason and one reason only. It's because this is the last time they're getting any on this show. <laughs> they need a hug. <laughs> <laughs> they need a hug. They need one from Geno Smith. Thanks for sticking with us. Welcome back to Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social. I'm Ted. And I'm not Eric. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what are we going to do? We're going to break down the AFC East. We will start off with the powerhouse. That is the Buffalo Bills. Ooh, they are a powerhouse, aren't they? And they finished (laughs) that a rockin' 6-10 last year. Very strong (laughs) 6-10. Is there there such a thing as a strong 6-10? It could be. If there is, it's them. It's them. Now, EJ Manuel. Yes. He's okay. Maturation, growth. I mean, you would think so, right? I mean, he's still young. You got to imagine he'd get better every year, right? Well, they got rid- the point. They got rid of uh, you know Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, he's no longer there. Yeah, but you know, to, for this guy. So now, all joking aside, he's got an arm. He he has an arm and a couple legs. See what kind of leadership he's got. Fine, but uh, there's a lot of things orbiting this team. There's the death of the owner. Yes, in the off season, Bonjovi. There's Bon Jovi looking to buy the team seriously, leaving an ownership group, uh, a potential ownership group. The possibility that they could move to Toronto. The illness because Toronto needs a team more than L.A. L.A. Oh God, (laughs) this is like the international move for the NFL. While not having a team in Los Angeles is asinine. I don't understand it. And then still talking about like another team moving to Texas, where 
LA Texas, Toronto, London, but no uh, Mexico City Mexico is City, another one yeah. like where they talk about all these other cities without having LA and even in the mix, the but biggest market. So with that, um, this is an awful lot of things going on. Even Jim Kelly's illness, like these are yeah. things that they all seem somewhat circumstantial or suspect as they're going to affect the team on the field. But we've seen it time and time again. We saw Cleveland in what was it ninety five um, when they moved uh, to Baltimore. Yeah, you see it happen time and time again. Where well, they use it as a rallying cry. Um, all the outside. Oh, oh, do they? Well, yeah, that's a, on. Turn it into a winning club, or does it? Kind of give them an excuse for fail. that implosion and that yep. you know. Oh, what did you expect? You know, look at everything's going on. Yeah, look at all the stuff that's going on around us. I mean, it takes a special team to be able to to take special you know, teams. Outside, yeah, special <laughs> teams to to take stuff that goes on and turn it into a positive and to rally around. I don't think Buffalo is that kind of special team. I they, mean, not in the East anyway. No, you know, and they even have that uh, that lawsuit by the the Jills, the the Buffalo Jills, the uh, the. The, the cheerleader lawsuit. Yep. Um, you know, they're getting paid fifty dollars a game or something for all of that l- lunacy I mean, surrounding. And, and not for nothing. When you go in as a cheerleader, you know you're not getting paid squat. Yeah, there's, there's. I mean, you sign up for it. Everybody could have said no. Yeah, we can talk about that even another time not if, to it, say if that it even they warrants get anything paid and all that other stuff. But they know <laughs> that when they when they become it, that's a glorified position. You just want to get out there and be seen. But again, uh, sure, not important. Not even on our radar. But those things, like, but that's what I'm saying. Like those things, those things just do start to chip away at the franchise, the ownership, and the leadership. Yep. Yeah, and and those are the types of things that I think that start to weigh on some of like the internal leadership and the general manager and the coaching staff and that sort of stuff just bleeds into a team. Mm-hmm. Does it make a team great? Do they do they close ranks and do they nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, like that kind of stuff? Well, guess what? Buffalo Bills don't really circle their wagons very well, as indicated by, mm, say, the last 20 years. Yep. So given that, I don't know, 6 and 10 even seems ambitious this year. Yeah, yeah it does. Um, I mean, I, I see the Jets and the Dolphins improving a little bit and the Patriots are the Patriots. So, you know, 6 and 10... Yeah, I think that's a little bit ambitious. I, I mean, I, but they're going to be right there, you know, four and twelve. Yeah, five and eleven, six I, and ten. I'll, I'll have them at four and twelve. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be in the basement. They're not going to be a non-factor. They're not even going to play spoiler. Okay, they're just going to exist. Now, next up on the list, and the team that finished uh, one of the two eight and eight teams, the Jets, the J E S T. So they went out and signed Michael Vick, which is probably one of the smartest things the franchise could have done for, for Geno, Geno Smith. Smith. Yes. Um, they didn't sign him to come in and be a starter. They signed him to come and push him and be somewhat of a mentor. They kind of have the same style. Michael Vick's been there. He's done that. He's gone through a lot. So this young kid who's obviously got speed and he's got an arm, he is that type of quarterback. He had five fourth-quarter comebacks last year yeah, in his rookie did, season. Yeah, he did, which was really surprising. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, five fourth-quarter comebacks, I mean, that puts you right up there with, I think, six. A seven, seven, seven for Andrew Luck. Seven yeah. for Luck. I mean, that's pretty impressive um, because I don't see him as a overtly talented quarterback. I think he's a really good athlete who has a average or slightly above average arm, um, accuracy-wise. So, I, you know, having a guy like that behind him can, you know, really help form him in this. Yeah, the, the, the one thing you need to make sure that a guy like Geno Smith has is a good head on his shoulders because he's obviously got the athletic ability and all of those things that surround him. It seems like he has a me attitude. That's why you bring in a Michael Vick. Yep. Now, the other guy with the me attitude that you mentioned, too, is uh, Chris Johnson from the Tennessee Titans. Yep. Is now the featured running back in the Jets' offense. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see how what kind of impact he has in the offense. Does he does he have anything no. left to give? Well, you know what? He has a ton of talent left Remember to Curtis give. Remember Curtis Martin? Well, the problem with uh, Chris Johnson was when he was pushing that 2,000-yard mark, the Titans gave him that huge deal. Huge. And that was it. Yeah, that was it for him. That was the last. As soon as he got his money, he was done. Yep. And uh, not that they, not that the Titans put any money into their offensive line and, and making sure that they were a run first team, but Chris Johnson had shown that if they simply gave him the ball, mm-hmm. he was going to be a special talent. More often there. than not, he was going to get the yard. Yeah, and he became jumpy in the backfield. Yep. He became lost confidence. Yeah. Well, you know what? He decided he didn't want to get hit anymore. That's what I saw. Okay. You know, it, it, it happens. It, yeah. Sure. After you get a gigantic payday. Yeah. Now he's with the Jets. I think, and God forgive me for even saying this, but I think one of the one of the best coaches of young players in the league is Rex what Ryan. Is he young? 
Young meaning Geno Smith and some of the other players on the okay. Jets. All right, yeah. But when but you have Chris a Johnson. no, but Chris right. Johnson coming in there, Rex Ryan's a good guy to lead him. The the Ryans all have one thing in common from Buddy Ryan, motivators. Rex Ryan. They're motivators. They will never win a Super Bowl. A Ryan will only win a Super Bowl as an assistant. Okay. All right. Okay? Yeah. A Ryan will only win a, co- a, a Super Bowl ring as an assistant. They will never win one as a head coach. That being said, they will always make their teams overachieve. They'll have their teams prepared. They'll have their teams motivated. But if any if any Ryan is capable it's of winning Rex. a Super Bowl is, is Rex Ryan. Yeah. But he has the unfortunate... Um, I don't know. Um, Circumstance? Yeah, to be in the AFC East with a Bill Belichick and a Tom Brady. Yeah. And I, mean, I mean, really, I mean, that has something to do with it. I mean, I, my Dolphins have been uh, on the outside looking in for, for many years, since the Dan Marino years, because of being in a division with, with Bill Belichick and, and the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. Sometimes you're a victim of your own division. I want to go right down that road, but where do you have the Jets fi- finishing? I, they were I mean, eight and eight tough. last they, year. They were eight and eight last year. Did they get better? I guess so. Uh, nine and seven. Do they win a wild card? No. No, I don't. Well, the wild card. No, I don't we think already can figured come out, out the, the wild East. card. We've already done our recap of the other divisions, so we already know it's going to be um, the Bengals and Kansas City coming out of the gate for the Jets. Okay. Yeah. Who do they got? Oakland. They can. That's a winnable game. Yeah, well, obviously, if they don't beat Oakland, they don't have a chance at all in the East. Their next six games are Green Bay, Chicago, Detroit, San Diego, Denver, New England. The likelihood of the Jets. So they could easily honestly, go one, one and six. six. Easily go one and six. We know that Green Bay is going to lo- load up on them. Forget it. We they, know, win, they win their first game. They win their they first lose, game. They lose against Green Bay, and I believe they lose against Chicago. And we know they lose against Detroit. They might be able to beat San Diego. And they get crushed against two Denver and, and New two England. Two and four, two and five. I mean, so coming out the gate, the AFC East has a tough schedule this year. They do. They have to play the NFC North. Yes. Um, that's that's a tall order. Um, the NFC North is extremely competitive, as we covered when we, when we did that division. And don't overlook the Detroit Lions with no, Jim Caldwell. You, you can't. That's the, that's the that, biggest the, factor for the Lions this year is Jim Caldwell. Absolutely, was, was the coaching staff. We talked about this last year. Last about, week, yeah. uh, Well, no, last year we talked about, about mm-hmm. the talent they have on the team and why they underachieve so bad. And Constantly. we put that on the coaching staff. Always. Well, they changed that this year. Mm-hmm. And Caldwell, I have a lot of faith in that guy. Guys what he man. showed us in, in, with the Colts was pretty impressive, especially everything that surrounded him at the time. Um, so, yeah, I, that's kind of tough for, for the Jets. And uh, I'd like to say I feel bad for them, but I don't. Then, uh, they, <laughs> then by the way, then they have Buffalo. Win. A winnable game. But then they go, then they go to Kansas City, City and, and then Pittsburgh. And Buffalo again. I mean... Conceivably, <laughs> they can only win three out of their first twelve games. They are looking <laughs> at a four and twelve. Yeah, a possibility of again, a four and twelve any season. given Sunday. Yada yada sure. yada. Of course. And if we call in any given Sunday and we throw a couple of like games out there, okay, they're still well that gets above, them to five wins. Yeah, well, they're below well well below five hundred <laughs> yeah. still. Yep. So, bottom line, Jets fans out there. <laughs> don't get too optimistic. Yeah, don't be. Their schedule itself dictates a very high probability of epic failure in the first half of the season and then some. The one big, big. So 9 and 7, I think, almost is unattainable at this point. It is. And I, I can't have them winning more than five games, particularly when. And by the way, 6 the and dem- 10 just on their coaching staff? Uh, the, no, well, he has, he has two things I want to make sure I mention. One, the demoralizing nature of coming into the season. Uh, winning your first game and then, and then honestly losing six or seven five, straight. Six in a row, yeah. Okay? Yeah. And then the most important thing that the Jets need to do is not fire Rex Ryan at the end of this catastrophic season. Rex, the Jets wouldn't... Yes, they would. I mean, the, no, no. I'm saying the Jets oh. wouldn't be the Jets without Rex Ryan. If they think... If, if ownership group isn't happy with the Jets now or at the end of the season, imagine how... Awful they'll be without Rex Ryan. The only reason that they are a 500 team last year and are even in the conversation in the AFC East is because of Rex Ryan, its coaching staff, its coaching style. You take that away, they're irrelevant. We move right up into the second place team in the AFC East. Your. <laughs> My Miami Dolphins. 
It's the greatest football team. <laughs> I had to do it. No, it's okay. I was pretty optimistic about the Dolphins this year. I believe they've improved over last year. And again, they were, or should have been, I should say, because they weren't. They should have been a playoff team last year. They were going into their last three games, two of which um, uh, divisional rivals and at home. All they had to do was win one of those three games, and they were going to go into the playoffs last year. And that was with the whole bullying and incognito and Jonathan Martin having neither one of them in the whole distraction. What a catastrophe. It was awful. What a catastrophe. It, it was It was an absolute, oh, it was just awful. I don't even want to think about it. But even with all that going on, and, and, and Wallace underperforming, and Tannehill being good enough, but not taking that next step, and, you know, first-year coach for, for the Dolphins in Philbin. Love him. Um, even with all that, they still had their own destiny right in their hands. And they could have made the playoffs just by winning one of those three games. So I believe they've improved their personnel. I believe they've improved their uh, atmosphere there in Miami. And then what do I do? I look at their schedule. Mm-hmm. Same thing that just happened with the Jets, and we'll play in the NFC North. Yep. And, and NFC North and AFC West. I tell you, I got them going. I wanted to say ten and six, okay, and then I kind of went with nine and seven. They're a five hundred team. Yep. Every time I see them winning a couple, boom! You see I them see losing, them a, losing couple. a couple. And I believe if they finish the eight and eight, they should almost consider that a success, because to me that would have told me they beat the teams they were supposed to beat, but. You know, they went up against quite a few teams that are better than them. Yeah. You know, I don't mind losing to a team that's better. It was always frustrating losing to a team that losing you to Buffalo, beat. losing to Buffalo, losing to the Jets. Yeah. That was ridiculous. Losing to the Jets, yeah, is is the thing that like when you know that you are a, a far superior team. You <laughs> yeah, organizationally and talent wise, and all you got to do is beat the Jets in Miami, and you can't do and it. You can't do it to to get into the playoffs. For the first time since they won the division? I mean, in 2008. Yeah, in 2008. Yeah. So last year was a tough pill to swallow. But I don't see them I don't see them improving on their record. I see them being an improved team, but I don't see them improving on their record. So that's an that interesting way sense. to that's actually a really good way to put it. Um you can improve your team. You can have Tannehill take a step forward. Yep. And he, I and, he needs and to take a step forward. I, he's a in my perception, yep. he's the real deal. Yes. Okay, I think Ryan Tannehill has the whole organization has put their eggs in his basket, and he started to emerge as a leader because those guys are behind him. Yep, which makes the last three losses of last year that much more frustrating. They brought in Sean Moreno. Yep, we know their wide receivers are solid. We know that solid, right? That's, that's a good way to put it. Sir, yeah, they're beyond serviceable. Yeah. You they're got, a solid you know, like Wallace, core. He's you know, nursing a little uh, achy ankle over there, and you know his little hamstring. Sit him down for the next three weeks, uh, and of course, let him be you ready. don't even let him get into the preseason game. Yeah, um, let him practice with the team. Keep him out of the preseason games. Tanner Hill and him will get on the same page, hopefully. But yeah, I, I just I see them improving, but not improving on their record. I don't want to see Philbin go anywhere. Well, if he didn't get fired after last season with the distractions, and I believe that he has some culpability in what was going on there. Oh, he's got he's a lot. got he's a the lot. Head coach. Yeah, he's le- I think I think people let him down along the way, assistants, leaders on the team. But at the end, the buck stops there. I believe Jeff Ireland is gone. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yes, yeah. Jeff Ireland is gone. But they kept him around. See, that was the thing that really got me last year with this whole Richie incognito Offensive and- coordinator gone, mm-hmm. Jeff Ireland gone. Thank God. It's the two best things that could happen. That instantly improved their team. This they hit the reset button in the off season. It's, They're not going to have that anymore. Yeah, sort of like in the in the my I guess my last point on that being, if somebody gets food poisoning at a restaurant. Two weeks later, go ahead and eat at that restaurant because they're going to be hypersensitive to hypersensitive to it. That's forever. a great point. Absolutely, you know, the, these guys analogy. are never going to let this kind of thing happen it's not ever happen again. again. So you have them finishing pretty much at five hundred, missing the playoffs. Unfortunately, due to their schedule, yeah, I do have them at five hundred, missing the playoffs again okay. this year. Once again, as we have said it over the years with our many conversations with you, Ted, it's very tough to be a fan of a eight and eight team. You're year, saying this to a Cowboys now. fan, yeah. I've just spent the last 20 years watching the Dallas Cowboys. But your team has given you more hope and then crushed them 
more often than my dolphins have. It's probably worse. Yes. That, yeah. that, makes, <laughs> that makes it worse. When Next week when we get to the NFC East, we'll cover that. Yeah. But uh, So that, that leaves us with one last team. It's the local boys. That's the um, New England Patriots. Uh, they are playing the AFC West. They are playing the NFC North. Um, but they are more equipped to handle. They're equipped to handle them. They're they're more equipped to handle the Green Bay's and the Chicago's and the Detroit's. Correct. Okay. So where we give losses to the other AFC teams that are playing Detroit and Chicago, we give the wins. We give the wins to New England more often than now not. playing Green Bay and the fantastic linebacker they have over there in Clay Matthews, most overrated player in the entire NFL. Patriots can beat them. They could also lose to them. They could. But that's where the, that's where. The Patriots separate themselves from the rest of the teams in the AFC East. Now, interestingly enough, when we just talked about the uh, the Jets, and we were talking about the Jets coming out of the gate, honestly looking winning like they the were going to be yeah. winning their first game, and you know we, we we have the Jets coming out of the gate being basically first eight games being one and seven. Hmm. All right, it, it, and and very likely could be the case two and six, yeah. one and seven. When you look at the Patriots' schedule, and they go up to Week Nine, they start Miami, Minnesota, Oakland, Kansas City. It's entirely likely they're three and one, four and zero. Oh. So that 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 loss coming in the first week <laughs> against Miami, yes, yes, yes. sure. Because if the Dolphins are going to win a game against the Patriots, it's right. going to be in September in Miami. It always is, okay, and forever will be. It is said. Let's just say, in, in, for the sake of this conversation, let's just go with Patriots start zero and one. Championship. Uh, let's let's go with what, who's your mama? Okay, what do you think that uh, the, the the Vegas line will be? Patriots, nine. Patriots by six. Nine. nine on the nine. road. Okay, let's go with Vegas on it. So the Patriots will have the win. Okay, no. So we're not going to go with Vegas thing because I, I just told you I, I I have them losing their first game. Okay, so they, it's entirely likely the Patriots come out of the gate one and three, four and zero. Oh, forget it about three and one. You mean three and one? Uh, three and one. Said one. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, and then they have Cincinnati at home, primetime game on uh, week five. That's the day that Brandon Browner comes back. That's the game that Brandon Browner comes back. Good time. It's a perfect time for Browner to come Absolutely. back. Absolutely. Now you follow that with Buffalo, and then the Jets. And then they play against Chicago at home. They go Jets, Chicago, Denver in 6, 7, and 8. And then they go to their bye week. So what do you think? 8 and 2, 7 and 3? 8 and 2, 7 and 3. Yeah. I, can, I can clearly see these guys yep. having an incredibly good record coming into and then, the And then coming break. off the bye. And we know not many teams are better off, from, off of a bye than a Bill Belichick team. Granted, yes. They're, they're, playing, they're playing the Colts. The Detroit, Colts. Green Bay, San Diego. It's tough four games, but I still think they can come three and one out of that. Pick your loss, but they go three and one in those four games after the bye, and then they finish out the season against and, and Miami, against New York, three and division Buffalo. rivals, and they sweep them. Yeah. They beat Miami and New England in the snow, in you know, in the in cold, the cold. weather. They beat the Jets at home. Just a little extra salt in the wound from a bad year that the Jets are going to have. And then they, and then they come into a probably a second or third squad team in Buffalo. And they'd be who was just trying to, you know, maybe get a top ten pick. So they're twelve and four, thirteen and three. Absolutely, right there and there. Yeah, they win no, the absolutely. East, and they're they're going into the last three weeks buy. of the they season. They're, they're going into the last three weeks of the season, looking at um, clinching home field advantage throughout. Yep, absolutely, and, and again another division title. One they of wrapped the- up another division title, and they should get to the AFC Championship game again. They for the should. fourth year in a row. One of the reasons why I say that they're going to be battling straight away for the home field advantage throughout <laughs> is Denver. Denver has a remarkably difficult schedule, yes, interestingly enough. Yes, uh, yeah, we talked about that a couple episodes ago. The AFC West has to play the NFC West. So they have to play against San Francisco, San Francisco Seattle. Yeah, Seattle. They have those games yep. coming up on their schedule. And they're coming out of the gate against Indianapolis, Kansas City, Seattle. Then yeah, they have Arizona. Yeah, we had them possibly going one and three. Oh, we, if they I could, recall, they could easily go one and three yeah. in their first three games. That first four games, yeah. Then they have their bye week early on. Denver's mm. blows their bye week in week four, but then their then schedule have, gets a little bit easier. Marginally at first, it, it was Arizona. It was always potentially yeah, tough. But still, okay. Then they have they're at the Jets. Then they go all the way back across the country and play against San Francisco. 
in San Francisco at their new stadium. Travel, yeah. Then they play in but then uh, again with all the defensive injuries that San Francisco has been getting. I don't think San Francisco is going to be better than they were last year. I'm saying that right away. Okay, that's fine. San Francisco fine. will not be better than they were last year. But they're still going to be a formidable force in, in the West. Well, they got the coaching staff. They have the talent on the offense. So they're going to be a thorn in everybody's side that they play. Yeah, they're a tough football a team. That, no, but if they stayed where they are or even took a small step backwards, small step back is they're a still a team that's going to vie for the NFC Championship. Oh, yeah, they'll... Mm, Okay, yeah, all right. Vie yeah. for the NFC yeah. Championship. They'll vie for a spot in the championship game. Indianapolis starts off the season like this. Uh, I'm sorry, Denver starts off the season like this. Indianapolis, Kansas City, Seattle, bye week. Arizona, New York, wins. San Francisco, San Diego, New England. So by week nine, they could... Easily be basically a five hundred team, six and three, five and four. Uh, yeah, sure, it's uh, possible. Uh, yeah, or, well, with the bye week. So, or yeah. again, you know, Pitt with the Peyton and Manning. You could also see him at seven and two, easily, and, and winning some really good games. Easily, you know, that's what separates the elite from the good. Is can they get the wins against the top, the other what are considered top tier teams? Yes, you know, like San Diego. We've come across San Diego in five different schedules that we just broke down. Mm-hmm. And all of those five games are going to be a thorn in the side for the team playing them. Correct. So the, the, what's going to separate those elite teams that we're going to see at the end of the year versus the ones that are going to fade off in the, either in the playoffs or down the stretch is who's going to beat that San Diego. You know what I mean? Which teams yeah. are going to beat San Diego, no problem, and which ones are going to end up losing. That's going to be a big difference. And next week, when we talk about the NFC East, it's going to kind of encapsulate some of the things about the entire season. Now, we were supposed to talk about both today. We've run Ob- long. Obviously, we, we, we're running long. We know the East divisions very well. We believe that they are the most competitive of the divisions besides the NFC North. There's just no time. We'll, we'll spend another 40 minutes on the NFC East if we even touch that. So we're going to save that for Wednesday's show. But what it's going to show you, interdivision rivalries that are starting to grow and, and research, the NFC, every single one of these divisions is really going to start to be a complete feeding frenzy within and of themselves. Well, right. That is the difference between the AFC and NFC East. We don't necessarily in AFC East um, beat up and absolutely devour each other. NFC does. Yeah. Which is why you can easily see everybody going 8-8. Eight and eight. The Redskins weren't very good last year. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, if they're competitive, you're looking at all the teams beating up so they can have an 8-8 eight and eight record so they can win that division. Exactly. And it's the only division in football that's like that. Yeah, and we're going to see that out of the NFC yeah, North so, and a couple so we'll of others. we'll break that down in depth, and, and we'll tell you who's going to come out the victor. Excellent. And so for Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social, I'm Ted. I'm Eric. Don't forget to hit us up on Twitter at Eric and Ted ICS. And our website at ericandted.com. And hit us up on Facebook at Eric and Ted's Ice Cream Social. Talk to me, baby, I'm an action man. Out on town doing the best I can. Lord, Lord, I'm an action man. Lord, Lord, I'm an action man. I'm handy in the morning, handy at night. Doing my loving with all of my might. Lord, Lord, I'm a action man. Lord, Lord, I'm a action man. Come to the wild woods, set on a log. Woman been treating me like a dog. Lord, Lord, I'm a action man. Lord, Lord, I'm a action man. Saw a gorilla and a gator too. I was lonesome, seeing a thing to do. Lord, Lord, I'm a action man. Lord, Lord, I'm a action man. I'll dig your taters, I'll eat your soup. Pluck all the chickens in your coop. Lord, Lord, I'm a action man. Lord, Lord, I'm a action man.